helping disciple makers ignite a movement locally and globally. This is the Disciple First Podcast. Now, here's your host, Craig Etheridge. Welcome back to Disciple First Podcast. It's a podcast by disciple makers and for disciple makers. My name is Craig Etheridge. I'm your host here, and I'm I'm here with Dan Spader. My good friend, Dan, graduated from Moody Bible Institute and Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Chicago. He's serving currently as the president of Global Youth Initiative and is the founder of Sun Life Ministries. Dan has worked for 12 years in pastoral roles in churches and has served for now over uh, many, many years as a consultant for over 20 different denominations, developing youth leadership as well as strategic planning for disciple-making. He and his wife, Char, live in Louisville, Kentucky, where Dan is a training consultant at Southeast Christian Church. And Dan, I'm really glad to have you on the program. Thanks for coming on. It's great being with you, Craig. Looking forward to the time. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you and I, have we've, we've logged in some years together, and uh, uh-huh. and we, we love talking about disciple-making. And uh, one of the things that you say in your book, uh, the four chair discipling, which is a tremendous resource, I highly recommend it. It, it, it. You lead off in the book with making the case that Jesus is the model for disciple making. Uh, why? I mean, isn't that intuitive, or do, do we need to remake that case that Jesus is the model? Well, you know, you think it would be. Uh, I, I even I remember I remember right when I wrote the book, I just said it seems strange that you have to argue that Jesus is our model for disciple-making. But it's my experience over the last 25 years of training churches, pastors, elders, leaders, that um, very, very few will look to Jesus as a model. Matter of fact, I have a a book uh, in my library that basically the title says, Jesus is our model, and spends the first chapter talking about why Jesus is a model, and then shifts to Paul, and the rest of the book is about how Paul planted churches. Um, And, you know, yet I I come back, I I just don't quite get that, because Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So we really, really need to get back, I think, to what I love to call the real Jesus of Scriptures. And what do you mean by that, the real Jesus of Scripture? Well, we have such a caricature of Jesus, I think, through the years. Early on, the Church uh, saw Jesus, they had walked with Jesus, they had saw Him speak to the crowds, they had interacted with Him, and early on, the Church had to wrestle with, was He fully God? Uh, Because they knew that real Jesus, they saw His humanity, Uh, they experienced it, they watched Him grow up in His hometown of Nazareth. uh, many of the disciples he called probably knew him in his, his younger years. Um, and so he was very real, very human to them. So we early on had to argue for the deity of Christ, and that had to be documented and proved and looked back to his claims. And the writers, the gospel writers, John argued for that and others. But through the years, I think we have so mystified Jesus. We We've made him so... God oriented, so fully God, which he is, um, we, but we lost his humanity. And so I always love to say we painted a picture of this Superman Jesus, 
who looks human, but boy, when he goes into the phone booth, he's got that kryptonite and he comes out and flies through the air. And, uh, and so therefore we just have had this faulty view of what I call the real Jesus, the, the one we got to get back to, to understand how to make disciples, because he said over 40 times, eight different ways, do what I've done, walk as I walk, follow the pattern I gave you. And so that's, that's the real Jesus we got to get back to in my mind. Now, why, uh, how is that different than regular discipleship programming in the church today, as you see it? Wow, that's a great question. That's a loaded question. I, I think there's, there's several ways to understand Jesus. And here's how I, and this is some of my journey anyway, put it that way. I think as a brand new Christian, um, when I came to Christ, I got consumed with studying the message of Jesus. A professor challenged me at Bible school a year after becoming a believer that Christ's initial disciples could have been or probably were teenagers when Jesus began to work with them. And at that time, I was a part-time youth pastor. And my question to that prof was, well, well, how did Jesus build his youth group? And so I began to just to study the message of Jesus. Uh, I began to understand that Jesus was pouring his life into that next generation. And so I spent probably 10 years studying the message of Jesus, and that is profound, the message of Jesus. Uh, we'll spend eternity, I think, coming to fully understand the message of Jesus. But that's one level of understanding Jesus. Uh, the next 10 years of my journey is I continue to study the life of Christ chronologically and study a harmony of the Gospels that put the four Gospels in chronological order. I, I begin to go to what I call a second level, at least for me, of understanding Jesus. I look at his methods. For example, I begin to analyze his prayer life, and you find 45 times Jesus slipped away to pray. Uh, his ministry began with prayer, ended with prayer. The busier he became, the more he prayed. And, 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 and before every major turning point in his ministry, you find it coming out of prayer. And so you begin to analyze the methods of Jesus, the, the way he taught, uh, the priorities he set for his life, uh, a lot of the methods. My experience is this, Craig, the, the message of Jesus had great meaning. But boy, when you begin to understand the methods of Jesus coupled with the message, now his message has a whole new level of understanding. Yeah. And so I think, to me, the second level for me was the methods. And then finally, the, the third level of coming to understand Christ in my own life, and one that I'm constantly in, unpacking, and really it's a passion of my life, is, is what I call understanding the model of his humanity, the model of the real Jesus. What was that real Jesus like that walked on this planet 2,000 years ago? The one we're told to imitate, the one we're told to, to emulate, the one we're told to do what he did, the way he did it. And, and to me, that's the real Jesus, the, the fully God and yet fully man Jesus. So I just I have thousands of questions about that. Why why was it in Jesus in his hometown where everybody knew him, a little village of Nazareth? Most people say no more than three hundred people. Why was it in his hometown of Nazareth? And many people think Nazareth was a place where a group of people decided to settle 
because they were waiting for the coming of the Messiah. They were Davidians uh, in a cluster group. And why was it those who were waiting for the coming of the Messiah in this little village of Nazareth, why did they have the hardest time believing Jesus was the Messiah when he comes there and says, I'm it, and they want to throw him off the cliff? Why? Well, I'm, I'm convinced that, like Isaiah 53 says, there's nothing in him that we should be drawn to him. I think he was so human that those who had the that were closest to him had the hardest time to believe that he could be Messiah. And, and, and that's, that's just to me empowering um, because he said, you can do what I did if you walk as I walk. And, and that's the real Jesus that I, I I'm constantly trying to get to. Um, what was he like in his humanity? He was man as God intended man to be. And he, and I'm supposed to think and act. I like how Philippians 2.5 in the New Century Version says it. Think and act just like Jesus. Hmm. Wow. What a statement. I have the same attitude. Think and act. How, what was Jesus thinking? Why did Jesus act very different than I act on most days? Probably because he was thinking different than I think most days. And his actions were shaped by his thoughts. And so... That's the, that's the real Jesus to me. And every time I study any passage of scriptures, now, yes, I love to start with the Gospels. I love to work on the red letters of the Gospels. But all scriptures point to Jesus. And I, I'm doing a study on Exodus and Joshua right now. And man, I see Jesus all over that. Um, all scriptures point to Jesus. That's the real Jesus I want. That, that's what I mean when I say the real Jesus. Yeah. What was he really like? Now, in your book, uh, Four Chair Discipling, you you really base that off of a chronological view of Jesus's life. You kind of mentioned that briefly, but would you unpack that? Because some people listening yeah. have never really heard that term, the chronology of Jesus. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, the to me, getting to the real Jesus means that you've got to understand the chronology of his life. Um, what did he do the first year when he launched his ministry? What did he do the second year? What did he do the third year? And what did he do the last year? Uh, what did he not do the first year? What did he not do the second year? Why, why did he prioritize things early on uh, in his ministry that he didn't prioritize later on? To me, that's the the reconstructing of the real Jesus, how did Jesus build a movement among multiplying disciples? Now, a harmony of the Gospels is an attempt, and there are about 30 different harmonies out there. I like the Thomas and Gundry harmony of the Gospels, or A.T. Robertson's another good one, but that's an older one. But, but those harmonies are an attempt to put the four Gospels in chronological order, and say, basically, here's what Jesus did first, here's what he did second, third, fourth, to reconstruct the real Jesus. Um, and, and to me, that's critical to come to understand the real Jesus. Like, like for example, one of the ahas for me was my doctoral work and on the life of Christ. When, and for so many people, when I teach them, when you, when you begin to understand Jesus did not choose the 12 apostles, 
and designate them as apostles until two and a half years into his almost four-year ministry, it changes your understanding of the Twelve. Now, they had been with him from the beginning, but they weren't chosen until two and a half years into it. He didn't select them until after an prayer until two and a half years. Because most people will be reading Mark 3, and they realize he chose the 12, or Luke 6, and he's choosing the 12, and they think, wow, that's, he did that in the very early part of his ministry. Well, he didn't. He didn't. The same kind of thing in Mark chapter 1 or Matthew 4, when Jesus said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men to James and John and Simon and Andrew Matthew, which I call the third chair of the four chairs, the challenge to learn to reproduce. He said, follow me, I'll make you fish the men. That was 18 months into his ministry. Jesus had been with his initial disciples for almost 18 months when he takes them to this new level of commitment. When you begin to see that and see some of the chronology, it really shapes your understanding of Jesus. Um, and if anybody has written a harmony, almost all of them, yeah, I, I was criticized, let me say this, I was criticized a number of years ago for saying, well, you can't really study a, a chronology of Jesus, because that's a man-made restructuring. Uh, if Jesus wanted us to have a chronology, he'd given us a harmony of the Gospels. And I said, my answer to that is very simple, he did. Uh, it's called the Gospel of Luke. Luke says, I write you this chronologically. And every good harmony is built around Luke as the spine and backbone, and the other Gospels fill in the missing pieces in Luke. You know, I was uh, having a conversation with a student at a seminary about this, and I and I got the same response. Well, we never heard this before, and how come we haven't been taught this yeah. in our New Testament class? Um, and, and therefore, they kind of look at the chronological harmonies of the Gospel with suspect. Um, but, but obviously this was a game changer for you and, and it was for me too. Yeah, very much so. And there's a reason for that. I could go into all the understanding, but basically at the end of 18th century, early 19th century, there are a group of liberal scholars out of Europe who began to say, you can't really study the gospels chronologically because the gospels were all written late and they, they follow a certain Markian priority theory that's out there and, and uh, redacted criticism and all this, and and uh, um, and so they're written late, therefore they're not accurate in chronology, and even they're just messages the apostles preached, and and so that's led, unfortunately, uncritically, a lot of Bible schools, even in America, have taught you can't study the Gospels chronologically, you can't understand them chronologically, and that's just faulty, and it's kept us from getting back to what I call the real Jesus. Yeah, so back to application in the Church, I guess what you're, what you're proposing is that, you know, getting back to what did Jesus do in, in chronology and in, in His order, what, what, what did He prioritize earlier and then later, how did He flesh these things out, should become the model for how we do ministry in the local Church, right? Exactly, exactly. And and again, I don't want to complicate things here, but there biblically there are at least five forms of Jesus. And I use the word form, it's the Greek word morphe out of Philippians two, Jesus appeared in the form of man, and then being in the form of God, it's the word morphe. There are at least five forms, but for simplicity's sake, we'll just say three forms. You know, 
put them in three big categories. You have the pre-incarnate Christ who created the whole world, who holds it all together. And then now we have the resurrected Christ, who's the God-man in heaven, the firstborn of creation, that's our advocate, that's seated at the right hand of the Father and is the head of the Church. But then the other form is the incarnate Christ, the one who added humanity to his deity and became flesh and walks among us. Biblically, we are to imitate, not the resurrected Christ, because we can't do what the resurrected Christ did. That's the God meant. And we're not to even imitate the pre-incarnate creator Christ. We're to imitate Jesus in his humanity. And so this is powerful to me, for Jesus is my model for life and ministry. I am to think and act like the incarnate Christ that walked on this earth, who is never less than God, yet chose to live his life never more than man. I'm to do what he did, walk as he walked. And so to me, it's not a slogan to say, Jesus is my model. Uh, it is deeper than that. It is my passion. It is what we're called to be like. It's what we're told over 40 different times in scriptures. Love as I love. Serve as I served. You know, give as I gave. When I wrote the study, Walking as Jesus Walked, my intent to explain that incarnate Christ, I always said in that first John 2, 6 verse, the key word there is to walk as Jesus walked. As is the key word. How did Jesus do what Jesus did? That's what we're called to emulate. That's what we're called to reflect. That's what we're called to live out, reflecting his character and priorities. And to me, that's a big deal. It was, it was a mind blower because all of a sudden I began to realize I can do what Jesus did if I walk as Jesus walked. Matter of fact, Jesus said something even more profound in John 14. He said, no, you can even do greater things. And that's a fun one to try to teach. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think what it really means is not, he's not talking miracles, signs, and wonders. Jesus kind of downplayed that, that stuff. He said, it's an wicked generation longs for that external. I think what Jesus meant there, he said he had four years to make disciples. And he ended up with a, a church plan of 120 with 70 chair three reproducing disciples and 11 leaders. He had 12, but one flunked out. And, and uh, you know, he had these 11 leaders, but he said, I did that in four years. By God's grace, you can have 40 years. Mm. And if you walk, as I walk, you can even do greater things. And, and I could demonstrate that in Paul's life. I can show you through Paul's 16 years of ministry, Paul produced four times more leaders than Jesus did. Why? Because he had four times longer, because Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. What a profound statement. What a profound statement that is. Mm-hmm. So why? what hinders uh, churches from from imitating Jesus? Why do they defer to Paul, or why do they ignore the, uh, the pattern and the model of Jesus? Wow, that's a good state. That's a good question. I've wrestled with that probably for 25, 30 years. Um, on a big picture, 
sometimes I just back up and think it's kind of a, a spiritual warfare because Satan hates it when we focus on Jesus. And Satan hates it when we try to walk as Jesus walked. If he can get us, he'd rather focus, have us focus on Paul than Jesus. Because when you start focusing on the real incarnate and resurrected Christ, you know, Jesus said, you lift me up and I'll draw all people to myself. Mm. Now we're really laser focused on the right thing. And so sometimes I think it's just a spiritual warfare. Um, but I think other, other, there are a lot of other practical reasons. I don't think we've been taught it, unfortunately. We, we've been told, well, Jesus was God and you're not, so you can't do what Jesus did. Which is partially true. He was God. He was fully God, but he was also fully man. And we've never really exegeted um, the real human Jesus. Because that Jesus, in, a, in that full humanity, said, you can do what I did, because I'm man as God intended man to be. I'm the second Adam. Here's how Adam was created to live. I'll show you what you're supposed, your life is supposed to look like. Follow my pattern, because I'm the second Adam. Adam came, failed. Adam came into a perfect world, chose disobedience. Jesus came into a sin-soaked world and chose full obedience. And he says, he, he paved the way for us and said, now, as the author and perfecter of our faith, he says, just walk as I walk, do what I did, and you watch how I show up in, in your life. So I think some of it is we've just never exegeted Jesus well. Um. And because of that, we've never got to that real Jesus. I have probably heard it a hundred times when I kept talking about, we can do what Jesus did, to walk as Jesus walked, to follow that pattern. People would say, well, that sounds nice, but, you know, he was God and I'm not. And I can't really do what Jesus did, so I'll just try to do what Paul did. Mm-hmm. Um, which Paul just said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Mm-hmm. So I, I, there's probably a lot of other reasons, but those those are the two biggies in my mind. If, um, if you I, were I, I mean, if you were talking to a pastor that is hearing this and say, "Man, I I want to do that. I, I want to walk as Jesus walked, and I, I want to make disciples the Jesus way." What what couple of words of counsel would you give him as he gets started? Well, good question. Um, without a doubt, we've got to get to that real, fully human Jesus, who was, and again, I, I'll keep saying it, he was man as God intended man to be. And to me, the quitter, critical question here is, is let's just not study the message of Jesus. Let's not just study the methods. Let's try to get to that the model of the man, Jesus. Remember when the disciples came across to the demoniac and, and Jesus calmed the storm and then healed the demoniac and the disciples cried out, what kind of a man is this? Mm-hmm. They were getting to that third level, that third concept. What kind of a man is this? I think we've just got to wrestle with that because Jesus said, think and act like I did. So here to me, the big question is this. 
when you begin to wrestle with fully God, fully man, you have to say, ask this question, how did Jesus do what Jesus did? That's the key question. How did Jesus do what Jesus did? And again, your how you settle on this is going to determine, I think, how you make disciples. I have concluded, and we have in my study, the walking of Jesus, the walk, we've come up with this acronym that we always teach called Holy Spirit Power. But it's a an acronym that stands for simply this. How did Jesus do what he did? You know, Holy Spirit, he trusted the Holy Spirit at all times in every situation. It was the Spirit in Jesus who did what Jesus did. He said the Spirit did it through him. So he was Holy Spirit dependent. And then the P under the, the for the power stands, he was prayerfully guided. Uh, Forty-five times he stepped away to pray. O stands for the obedience that he learned. He learned obedience, Hebrews 5, 7. So what does it mean? to learn obedience. Well, Jesus always chose obedience and grew obedience muscles, which disciples have to grow. do. We have to grow obedience muscles. W stands for he was word-centered. 84 times he quoted from Old Testament scriptures. E stands for he always exalted his Father. And as his disciples of Jesus, we need to always exalt Jesus. R stands for he had relationships of love and integrity. So that acronym, Holy Spirit Power, is my best take on how Jesus did what he did. He was totally Holy Spirit dependent, prayerfully guided, obedience learned, word-centered, exalted the Father in everything, and had relationships of love and integrity. And my experience, when I emulate those values that I see in the 35 years of studying Jesus' life, God shows up all over my life in ministry. And I'm the first to admit it's not me. It's all God. Because I'm walking as Jesus walked. Well, if you would like to know more about walking as Jesus walked, you can go to Sun Life Ministries or also pick up the book uh, by Dan Spader, Four Chair Discipling, and find out more about how did Jesus walk. Also, you can go to disciplefirst.com. Disciplefirst.com is a one-stop shop for disciple-making resources. And you can go to our Flashpoint Conference, which we have across the country. Flashpoint Conference is a great place to meet people like Dan and others who are walking as Jesus walked. So find out more information on those resources, disciplefirst.com or theflashpointconference.com. And until then, go make disciples.